think that, um, you know, Jesus is one who said, hey, let those little kids come to me. And so I'd love to do that with our kids. And we're so proud of you parents that work with your kids and um, encourage them to learn the word of God. And then it's good for them. I, they're brave to stand up in front of you people. You are scary. <laughs> today's, um, today's proverb is Proverb 11, verse 27. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to one who searches for it. So today is the, um, the last um, in a short series I'm, I'm doing um, about prayers that we can pray that are not, not so safe. They're kind of risky prayers. The first week we talked about um, a prayer um, that, that you know that's found in the psalm. Search me, O God. Show, look at my heart. Show me if there's any, any anxieties. Show me my fears, Lord. That's a scary prayer because when the Lord shows us what our true fears are, he's actually showing us the areas that we trust him the least in our lives. So the, that's what, that was the first week. The second week, we talked about, break me, God. Show me, Lord, what things are going on in my life that keep me from being more intimate with you. And that's, that's not a fun prayer. I mean, it's a good prayer, but uh, it, it can be a little risky. Today, I wanna, I'm going to talk to you about another prayer. It's a, a prayer of availability. And, and here's, there's a pattern I've noticed. Um, and this is true of me, and it's true of the prayer chain. Did you know the church has a prayer chain you can call and, and share whatever information you want, and immediately that, is, that information is disseminated to a lot of people who love to pray. They're trustable people, and... Um, and so I, of course, see those things and participate in praying. And um, there's pretty much a tendency for people to say, here's a need. God could do this. He could intervene in this way. Heal my grandma, provide this provision, do something that I need. That's kind of the, the pattern is what the Lord can do. And um, th- that all makes sense. And we should absolutely um, and completely continue to pray those prayers. That's really the Lord wants us to bring things like that to him. But what isn't, I really don't notice too often are prayers coming to us that say, you know, God, what can I do for you? There, it's a risky, risky prayer to say to God, hey, is there some way that you would be wanting to use me? What can I do for you, Lord? And, and I think that's kind of, a, of a, risky, a risky prayer. Not just, you know, God, could you do this? Could you bless me? Could you keep me safe? But God, I'm your servant, and I just want to be available to you, so... You know, whatever you call me to do, what is it? What, what would you like me to do? You know, and it, it's just it's just a prayer of availability, and we're going to look at some 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 times where that came up in scriptures, and I know this that if you um, if you over your lifetime, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times when you encounter God, and um, and when you have that encounter, it's going to literally change your trajectory. It might change it for a little bit, or it might change your trajectory for the rest of your life. And some of you people, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. You'll, you, you could say, hey, this was going on in my life, and the Lord spoke to me, and I will never be the same, because he kind of picked me up and moved me over and set me on a different path. And the thing is, you know, if you're going to pray this prayer of availability, it's, it's risky. It's risky, you know, because the Lord could direct you in all kinds of different ways. You just... <laughs> he, he could say, yeah, I want to move you to a different city. Or, or he could say, you know, there's a calling in your life, and you never knew there was this calling in your life, and all of a sudden the Lord's spinning something up that you didn't realize was there. Or he might tell you just to stay put, stay where you are, you know, and, and you were already certain that you were supposed to pick up and move. And the Lord said, no, 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 you keep your feet right there. I mean, I had that happen to me at one point in my life, more than once, actually. He might tell you to break up with somebody, 
Not if you're married, by the way. But he might tell you to break up with somebody. Maybe the reason he's going to do that is because he's going to give you an upgrade. Upgrades are good, right? <laughs> okay, I think they're good. Anyway, so he could lead you to a different city. He could call you to serve somewhere. You know, He could even move you from being a cat person to being a dog person. Pray that prayer. <laughs> if you make yourself available to what God wants, that's a risky prayer. And um, the thing is that all throughout Scripture, you'll see examples of, of, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, God does call people. He puts calls on people's lives. You know, what does that mean? It means, it means he speaks to them. He prompts them. He, he, he moves them. He leads them to say something, do something, give something, encourage somebody. He, he, he moves them to speak truth. And there are lots of different responses in, in God's word to examples where he called somebody. We're going to look at a couple of them today. Um, and I'm going to show you there are basically three responses that are typical to God's call. The first response we're going to take a look at is a guy named Jonah. You probably remember Jonah. And Jonah's response, number one, he responded to God's call. He said, here I am, I'm not going. That was Jonah, and some of you can relate. So here I am, I'm not going. Jonah uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And now it's my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. So what's Jonah do? But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, here I am, God, not going. <laughs> That's Jonah. And I wonder how many of us have had a similar experience, something like that. You know, you felt prompted. You know, I know I'm supposed to reach out or I'm supposed to, you know, say something or I'm supposed to help this person. And mm, not today, God. I'm not going to do that. And I think it's probably a little more common among us followers, you know, where God has prompted us. And, you know, I think I, I, I need to do something. I'm, I'm, I, I, I should do it, but not today. I'm just not going to do this. I'm just not going to do it. Jonah says, that's Jonah's response. Here I am. I'm not going. The second response is Moses. And um, here's what Moses said. He says, here I am. Here I am, God. Send somebody else. Sends, I'm here, but send somebody else. So Jonah, I'm not going. Moses, send somebody else, pointing around. He's, he's saying, you know, send my brother. This isn't my perfect deal. He's better off for that. So Exodus 3, verses 10 and 11. God's speaking to Moses. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt, which is something that Moses would have agreed needed to happen. Somebody needs to get, to show them, we got to get these kids out of here. You know, this million, whatever, a lot of people. Verse... Um, he says, sure, I'll go, but verse 11, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. Somebody else would be way better at this than me. Here I am, God, but send somebody else. I'm just not the right person. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy, you know. I'm not going to give. They should give. They, they got more money to give. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to go. I don't have so much time. She can go. She's a stay-at-mom home. She's got all the time she needs. <laughs> I thought there might be a reaction to that. So stay-at-home moms are going, what did you just say? It's like, okay, forget that. It was a, okay. So here's what we think. We just think, you know, he can do it. She can do it. Somebody else, I, I don't, they're better equipped. Here I am, God, but send somebody else. 
So Jonah says, here I am, I'm not going. Moses says, here I am, send somebody else. And Isaiah prays this really risky prayer. And um, we see this in Isaiah 6, verse 8. He says this, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Rabbit trail, just for a moment. Here's a doctrinal point where you see God having this conversation and saying, who will go for us? Who's us there is God. And we get confused because us is a plural word. And then here's this triune God thing. I'm just not going to teach on that right now. I'm just pointing out, here's one of the places. Well, where does it say that God's three in one? Besides, we know the Father. We see the references. Here's an example of God having a conversation. And it's with us. Okay, so move on. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, before we get to the response, which is underlined, and you've already read it. But before we get there, I think it's important for us to notice what Isaiah did not say in those moments. You know, he didn't say, where? Where are you sending me? Or is the climate nice there? And what's the salary going to be? And by the way, what are the, are the benefits? Well, how many weeks of vacation? He didn't say any of that stuff. He didn't ask for any of that. He just basically signs a blank contract with God. And he says, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Man, that is a risky conversation. That is a risky prayer. The thing is, as risky and scary as that is, I'm standing here today to encourage you to pray this prayer. To, you know, not just pray it, but to make it part of your daily life. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you can say to God, Lord, Lord, today I'm going to give you my mind. I'm going to give you my eyes. I'm going to give you my ears. You know, I'm going to speak what you want me to speak today, God. I'm going to hear your truth. Help me to have the wisdom to discern your truth from all the clutter that's out there. Here are my hands, Lord. Use them to further your kingdom. Here are my feet, God. Use them to take me where you want me to be today instead of where I would go. Help me to do what you want me to do. He's essentially, here's Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. And I'm I'm just going to start this today by encouraging you and challenging you to pray this prayer. You know, here I am, I'm available. Here I am, God. You have permission to interrupt me. You, you know, if you want me to go somewhere, I'll go. If you, if you want me to stay, I'll stay. If you want me to say something, I'll say it. If you want me to be quiet and pray, I'll be quiet and pray. If, if you want me to give something, if you want me to use my time, you know, whatever, wherever, however it is, God, whatever it is you want without qualification, you're God. What do you want? I'll do it. It's a really, really risky prayer. But if you pray this, by the way, I want to give you a warning and a guarantee. Um, God's going to interrupt you. He will prompt you. He will speak to you. And he will motivate you and encourage you when you pray, here I am, send me. So how do we get there? If, if we're going to pray that, how do we get Isaiah's kind of attitude before God? How do we do that? How do we really surrender our lives to God well, there are some help in the verses that really just precede this prayer of Isaiah. So I'm going to back up. So how do you, what do you need to fully surrender to God? There's three things. The first one is this. You need a genuine experience with the presence of God. A genuine experience with the presence of God. Back up a few verses to Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, okay, time out. I'm going to take another rabbit trail here. I couldn't resist one. And this is off topic, but I want to talk about what's going on here. Um, 
I always wonder, why did these little details show up in the passage? Because we tend to read and go, oh, it just was something God put in there to give us some context. Sometimes that's true. Other times there are details that are in there. So who's Uzziah? Okay, here's a couple of things about Uzziah. He uh, became king at age 16. So he's the king at 16. The reason was his father became ill, and um, so... He became king at 16. He was actually the king for 52 years. He died at about uh, 68. And he was co-regent with his father for the first about 22, 24 years. And then he was the king by himself um, until he couldn't be the king anymore. And um, what happened was this. Here's what Scripture says about King Uzziah. And the Scripture says, He did right in the sight of the Lord, except he left the high places in place, and the people use them. High places in the Old Testament refers to uh, high places were where um, little g gods would be worshipped. There would be places there where they would burn incense and they would do different things, and they would worship Baal and they would worship these other gods, Moloch, and and um, he did right in the sight of the Lord, except he left these high places. So here's what happens: Scripture says that he struck him with leprosy until he died. Now, by the way, that wasn't, you have leprosy, and tomorrow you, he's dead. It was a number of years. Leprosy, um, we've talked about it before. It's a real disease, and in their circumstances, um, people would have to be isolated from everywhere else, extremely contagious. It would wear you down and wear you out and kill you over a long time. It was a terrible disease. It would disfigure you and take away all, of, all ability to really to live, and it was painful. And, and um, here's the deal. God says he did right in the sight of the Lord, except he left the high places. And I think that this was a, 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 why leprosy? The same thing that was going on with the people. Left those high places, a place where people could go and worship something that was going to destroy them and was going to eat their lives away little bits at a time until eventually it killed them. And that's where worshiping of those high places then and today lead people. Then and today, worshiping at high places that are not the living God, eat away people's lives until it finally kills them. And um, without going political on you, the culture today, the cultural value, primary cultural value of our, of our, of our society is tolerance. We allow anything and everything, freedom of worship. And I'm not here to tell you that we should start legislating God because that does not work. There's a whole Old Testament to prove that case. But as the king, he had a place of responsible leadership. He could have set a moral code. He could have set a standard. He could have led the way. He could have led people away from those places. He didn't do it. He left them. And the people suffered because of his poor leadership as a king. I believe that kind of accountability before the Lord exists on governments today. And exists on our president and our senators and our governors and our city mayors. And when they follow the celebrated cultural icons of tolerating things that are actually destructive in people's lives, there's an accountability for that. And I'm not here to hammer a rail upon government. I'm just here to say, isn't it interesting that it was leprosy? The very thing that King Uzziah was responsible to protect and lead his people in that caused so many of them to wither and die a terrible death. God said, this is the closest thing to what you're doing to my kids. You need to experience this. However, here's the cool thing. (laughs) 
Now, after all me telling you how terrible Uzziah is, you can find his name in, in the book of Isaiah here we're reading it. You can also find him in the first chapter of the book of Matthew. Because when you read the names, Jesus' dad and his grandpa, and you, go, and you work your way back, guess what? This guy is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of humanity. It's amazing. So, by the way, is Rahab a harlot. In the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Christmas, my Savior, your Savior. What an amazing picture to show you and me. God can use anybody. He can use me. He can use you. If he can use this guy to produce the Savior, he can use every one of us. He can use every one of us. Okay, so... um, I've completely gone off on a terrible rabbit trail, so this is just the risk of coming to church here. This could happen at any moment, right? <laughs> uh, but this one was one I got to that and I thought, okay. And here's the thing. I can't, I, I really don't believe that there are any, anything, there's anything in Scripture that's just fluff. There's something, there's a reason, a Holy Spirit reason why every little detail is in there. If you'll just take the time to dig it out, you'll get more rabbit tra- trails. Anyway, so that's the, that, that's, so okay. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe t- filled the temple. Isaiah is having an encounter here. This is, by the way, not a fairy tale. He's seeing the real thing. These things are literally in his eyesight. You're going to see these things someday, hopefully. Okay. Above him were seraphs. These are angelic creatures. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. You can do a whole study on, on angels. There are different, different types of angels that are described in scripture. Sera- seraphs or seraphim would be typically seen circling above the throne of God. Singing out, crying out God's holiness. Okay, so these, these here's a rabbit trail I'm not going to go down. Why do they have wings? I mean, does that mean that there's air in heaven? Because what good's a wing if you can't flap against... You see, that's why preparation for, ser- for sermons takes me so long. I'm off on these. What is, I don't know why they have wings, but they're good at least for covering eyes and covering feet. And why are they covering their eyes and their feet? It's because there's so much holiness there. There's just so much holiness there. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Hebrew, when you use a word three times in succession like that, that's the Hebrew way of saying Whatever that word is describing is utterly and completely defined by that word. This is them saying, this is, this is the, the seraphs saying that God is completely, utterly, and perfectly holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, this is cool, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, I... My initial reaction to that is, I don't know why, maybe I'm conditioned to think, okay, they're saying these holy things and the walls are rocking because of the power of their voices. Is it sheer volume? I don't know. But I like my music to kind of... Do you like to feel your music? I'm in there studying and I've got a very small stereo system at my desk. And Lisa's on the other side doing something insignificant like watching Christmas movies while I'm studying. I don't know what she's doing in there. Could you turn that down? You are a Christmas music Scrooge. No, I'll just... <laughs> I'm just... Oh, golly. Anyway, so it says, it says the doorposts and the threshold shook from the power of their voice as they're saying, holy, holy, holy. 
picture the scene. These winged creatures are declaring God's glory and the place is vibrating. It's, and it's a good vibration. It's not scary. It's not terrorizing. It's love. It's, it's powerful. It, it fills you. It's just, wow. And Isaiah's watching this. What's, what's going on with him? He sees the presence of God. And he sees God in all of his glory and his majesty and the power and all this stuff is going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And these guys, um, they're going after it. And Isaiah sees this presence of God and he's experiencing the glory of God. And, and it, it, it transforms him. He's, he's different. Why is it that I sometimes might not be available to God. Well, maybe it's because we haven't recently experienced the presence of the king in a sufficient way that's, you know, why is it, here's, let me ask that again, why is it that maybe, maybe you haven't found yourself to be available to God? God, here I am, use me. Why? Maybe it's because you haven't recently experienced the presence of the king. I mean, I'm, 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 I don't, I'm careful about the personal stories I tell you. I'm going to tell you another one here about one time, and I, I'm not going to present somehow that I've been to the throne and I've seen the, you know. No, not even close. But there have been times when I've had an encounter with God that I just can only just tell you was incredibly, incredibly meaningful to me, and they changed me. One of them, here's one example. Um, and uh, people ask me every once in a while some, hey, Terry, have you ever really thought about quitting the ministry? You know, I don't know why people ask me that. Maybe they want me to quit. I don't know. But, um, and, um, you know, have you ever thought about, I was asked that when I was living, have you ever thought about, you know, stopping them in your ministry? I've had people ask me that here. Have you ever stopped, thought about that? And the answer is basically no. I never really think about quitting. Sometimes I really do question whether or not I will survive it. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be, whining to you, but it's like, you know, sometimes the pressure can be pretty, pretty strong. And, and um, I mean, and I know life's tough and you all have pressures as well. So I'm just telling you my own little, my own little place. And, and I was just, you know, there have been times when I'll get there and I'll think, you know, I don't know how long I can keep this pace up. And, and there was this one time where, um, this is many years ago, and um, I had a lot going on, and I was trying to care for people, and I was trying to administrate a large church and a big staff and a lot of details and do it all at once. And I'm a goal-oriented guy, and I can't not get everything done. And, you know, I just was pushing. And I think I had had a, a, a week or two, a period of time where I had just really got to an apex. And um, um, I think I'd spent one night where I'd, one, one day where I had spent a long time with someone who was considering taking his own life and I ended up like 15 hours with that person until I finally handed him to the care of someone who could take care of him. And, and then the next night, like, I was literally at the church until two or three in the morning, two or three days in a row. Lisa calls me one night. She says, this is at 2.30 in the morning. Come home. You come home. <laughs> it's like, I, and, and um, I was just bone-weary tired in well-doing. You've probably been there before where you just, you just, you know, and um, I'm just thinking this, this is going to kill me. I, I, I can't, I want to keep going. I just, I'm empty, just empty in my soul. And I remember thinking, I got no solution to this, but I got to find God somewhere. And I can remember where I was standing and where I went. I just went outside and it was a winter day. 
It was in an afternoon. It was cool. It wasn't raining, which was kind of crazy. But it was a clear afternoon, winter day, and the wind was blowing. It was icy cold. And I remember just deciding first to get with God and get alone with God, and pretty soon I found myself crying out to God. God, I need to find you in here. i got to get my sea legs, and I am just dying. And I'm, I'm crying out to God, and the wind's blowing in my face. And I started, as I was crying out to the Lord, there, was, there, there came a point in that time, I don't even know how long I was out there, it was hours. And I felt, and I began to feel the presence of God. And all of a sudden, I wasn't cold anymore. It was a, to a degree, some sort of, somewhat of a physical manifestation, but I wasn't cold anymore. And I began to feel cared for and loved and encouraged and empowered. And I began to feel fresh vision. And I don't know what other kinds of things, the ways to describe it, but, but I had this very, very powerful sense of a very, very real presence of my Savior and my King and my friend when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And, and there I was, and he was filling me and renewing me and just changing me. And that very real encounter with the presence of God really led me to this place of absolute, well, it was definitely a, I don't want to use the word absolute, that, I don't want to overstate this, but it was a deeper, very deep sense of submission and trust to whatever the will of God was for my life. God, I'm, I'm your son. What do you want? That's where I want to be. I want to do whatever it is you want, wherever you want, anything you want. And, you know, you might say, well, that's a great story, Terry, and we really believe that happened to you, but I've never had anything like that go on in my life. I want to tell you right now, it can. It can absolutely happen to you. It really can. And God wants to show himself to you in the way that will penetrate and make a difference to you. Scripture says, when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That's James 4. You know, and you don't have to go out and stand in the bowling wind you know, to have this kind of an encounter. With it. You could be driving in your car, and you got some worship song going on, and the Holy Spirit can come slamming into that circumstance, and all of a sudden you are in the presence of the king, and things that broke your heart and took away your hope are all of a sudden puny compared to the bigness of your God. Or you can be praying with your four-year-old in a language your four-year-old can understand. And when you've scraped off all of your adult sophistication and you pray at a four-year-old level, your own words get into your own heart and the Holy Spirit says, there it is! And all of a sudden you're in a place that you couldn't have got any other way. When you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Why is it that... We're just not as available to God maybe as we should be. Maybe it's because we haven't sought after him for a while. Because when you experience his presence, you're going to be transformed. You will be. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up his, his glories everywhere. So what do we need to fully surrender to God? We need a genuine experience for the presence of God. The second thing we need is this, a genuine awareness of your sinfulness. We have to have a genuine awareness of, of our sinfulness. In fact, I think one of the biggest cultural lies that people believe today is this. I'm a good person. You're a good person. We're all good people. Let me tell you something. Without Christ, you are not a good person. Welcome to Crossroads Church, the place where I'm here to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> 
you know, apart from Christ, we're just not good. We're evil. We're sinners. We're, we're despicable in the eyes of God without Jesus. And Isaiah sees this pure goodness of God and, and, and realizes how truly far he, Isaiah, was from the goodness of God. He saw how holy God was, and he recognizes his own unrighteousness. And he's genuinely aware of this. In verse 5, he says, he cries out, he says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, some translations say undone. He's saying, I'm nothing, I'm pathetic, I'm a sinner. I got nothing to offer. He's holy and I'm not. He's righteous and I'm not. He's full of glory and I'm full of sin. Woe to me, I'm ruined. He's got this figured out. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Wow. What does it take to get to this place where you're so fully surrendered? Here I am, God. I'm yours. Send me. One, it takes a genuine experience with the presence of God. Second, it takes an awareness of your sinfulness. And then number three, you need a genuine understanding of God's grace. God's grace. When you grasp just how amazing his grace is, it just brings you to this place of surrender. Verse six, then one of the seraphim, this is one of these six-winged six deals, um, you know, singing, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from your, and your sin atoned for. You know, I've read that so many times, and I thought, that's really interesting. What's the mechanism of how a coal touching lips atones for sin? That's not the point. The point is the grace. The point is he is ruined. He is unclean. He's among the unclean. But the point here is that the Lord says, let me fix this for you. What just happens to him is he's, he's in the presence of God. I'm ruined. And then with one touch from the goodness of God, his sins are forgiven. They're completely atoned for. You can imagine, probably, I can, you know, amazing. You know, your lying lips forgiven. Your lustful heart, fixed. Your self-centered selfishness, fixed. Your, your angry outbursts, fixed. Every secret sin that you've never told anybody but God knows them and sees them, forgiven. Scripture tells us in the Psalms that they're not just forgiven, but God removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. That's a long ways. When you confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when you understand that kind of grace, it just changes everything. Just like the coal touched his lips and removed his guilt, that's what the blood of Jesus does about our sins. It covers our sins. It's amazing. And here's the thing, we don't really bring anything to the soup mix. Jesus brings it all. I mean, and that's, that's unreasonable. We only have one really reasonable response. We realize that grace comes and it doesn't, we don't get any credit for it. It's not because of our doing, it's not any of the stuff we did. It's because of God's goodness. There's only one response and that's, that's just to say, here I am, God. Send me, take me, use me, fill me, lead me, guide me. Here's my signature on a blank check. Tell me what you want, God. This is the reason. This is the reason for opening your heart to the king and saying, I need a savior. Not because 
you can't keep up with the needs to be perfect because, by the way, you can't. But when you recognize that you have no way to God except through the blood of Christ, that's why you should, should say, yes, I need a Savior. I am a sinner. That's what the God, good news is, that God says, I will save you. Scripture says, all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. If you've never done that, do it right this moment. You don't have to stand up and shout. But you should, in your soul, say, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. I need a Savior. I'm calling on you, Jesus. The Scriptures say you'll save me. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And here's the thing. Um, this, this prayer has got to be one of the most risky prayers you can pray. You know, God, I'm yours, whatever you want, anytime, where, anywhere, anything, because it invades <laughs> our plans. You know, it, so the attitude isn't just, well, okay, I have to pray this prayer because he saved me from my sins, so I guess I have to do this. No, no, there's this... There is something of joy in this. There is something of blessing. There is something of promise. There's, there's just, you know, I get to do this. I get to serve Jesus. I get to be used to make a difference in somebody's life. I get to just deposit something of encouragement and watch the Holy Spirit do something that flesh and blood can't do. I just get to be the carrier of something that's good from God. He's given me gifts. You know, God put me in this moment of history with this group of people in this circumstance for a reason. I'm talking about you, by the way, not me. Do you think that it's a coincidence that you have these opportunities time after time, day after day, to encourage people, to share people, to lead people? That's God's design. Seize those opportunities. Every one of them when you get the chance. And, um, you know, the thing is we just have to have the courage to release what it is that God's put in us. Just have that courage to, to be willing and be able to meet someone's need. Here's the thing. This prayer, by the way, I wish I could tell you it was just a one-time deal. It isn't. You know, oh, well, back in 2002, I prayed this prayer, and God, you know, that's, that's good back then. But it's not a one-time decision. It's daily. It's a daily thing. And the reason that it's daily, the reason it needs to be daily is because, you know, if you've been born into God's family, if you've, if you've, if you've called on the name of Jesus, if you've been transformed, the moment your spirit came to life, which is what Scripture says happened there, you're born again. And from that moment on, for the rest of your life, there is a war raging between your flesh and your spirit. Now, when I talk about your flesh, I'm not talking about this. We, this is our flesh too, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your tendency to want to do what you want to do. It's that selfishness inside us that says, here's what I want to do. That's our flesh. And the spirit is the part of us that can hear the voice of God. You can hear the voice of God. And your flesh is at war with your spirit. The flesh wants to do what you want to do and you know, here I am, God, not going. Send somebody else. That's the flesh. And the Spirit saying, here I am, God, send me. Send me. How do we do this? How do we die to our flesh so that our spirit can live? Well, it's simple to say, but basically it boils down to this. What we feed grows and what we starve dies. There's a whole sermon. We're not going to go there. But if we, if, if, you know, if we feed our flesh, you know, give me, 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 me. It's about me, 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 me. I'm not going to do that. My time is too important. Somebody else can do it. I love Jesus and I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm not going to do it. That's our flesh talking. That is our flesh talking. If you deny your flesh and if you feed your spirit, you'll be seeing, saying things like, you know, I, I, I want the presence of God. I want to be in his word. I want to be with God's people. 
I want to be moving myself to be more like Christ. I want to make a difference. I'm going to be connecting with other people in a Christian community. I want to, as the word says, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens the countenance of his friend. I want to be that. I want to be in church. I want to, I am the church. I am the church in the world. That's what the Spirit is saying. You are the church. I was in a church last Saturday in a, doing a memorial service, and um, as you're exiting, here's a big sign above the door. The church is now leaving the building. I'm thinking, that's perfect, spot on. You get it, right? The church is now leaving the building. The church is not the building. You're the church. I'm the church. <laughs> I think back, that reminds me of, um, of, um, of a family years and years ago. Um, and they had a little girl in their family who was mentally, she had never really matured. Anywhere in her life, she was mentally stuck at a very, very young age. And she thought that the pastor's name was church. <laughs> Called him church. I don't know, we're going to go to church. Oh, she thought that was this. Okay, that's, never mind. Um, <laughs> do you remember that? Okay, she says yes. Okay, now move on. That's her way of saying yes, I remember. Move on. Um, <laughs> aren't you thankful for a wife that moves the pastor on? Move on. Let's hear that again, honey. Move on. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I just did that. Okay. Could you hear that? Yeah, that could be like a percussion. Okay. Um, <laughs> completely lost my train here. Maybe it's because I just had a concussion. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, and here's the thing, you know, our spirit is, when that's going on, our spirit's growing. We're actually becoming more like Christ. You get closer to God and you start to recognize him. And, and, and here's this scripture that kicks in that says, whoever's faithful with little, God will trust him with more. With more. Why does he trust people with so much? Do you look around and you see some people have some, a level of faith and they seem to be invested in people? It's because they've invested the little that God gave them. And so God has said, here, you can handle more. And that's why the Apostle Paul you know, said those things that seem so confusing in Galatians about dying daily. What's that mean? You know, it means he's, he's dying to himself. He's letting his flesh lose the battle every single day so that Christ can be alive in him. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's it right there. There are our responses. I'm in. Use me, God. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want to show the same kind of love to other people that you've shown to me. Here I am. God, send me. Why, why is it that more followers don't pray this prayer? I think, here's one reason I haven't, but I think this is probably the most common. They're afraid that if you pray this, God send me, God's going to make you sell everything you have, go to Africa, and never have toilet paper again. <laughs> and that could happen. It could happen. But you know, it's way more likely that God will call you to be a missionary right where you go to work. Because that's holy too. You realize that? It's just as holy as Africa. The people there need the love of God just as much. 
It's more likely that he's going to call you to serve the people that are right around you, right in front of you, to be faithful to what he's already given you. And a lot of times, it's just as simple as God calling you just to slow down what you're doing and take time to listen to somebody who's hurting. Or to give something that you have to somebody who's in need. Or, you know, God might call you at some point to buy $15 worth of chicken nuggets and french fries for a single mom and her three kids. And you think, oh, come on, $15 of chicken nuggets? First off, it's poison. But, but you think, that's not that big a deal. Come on, Terry, that's not like being sent like, yeah. You think it's not that big a deal. Wait till you see what happens to that single mother when you have loved her children with french fries. I'm telling you, it's a big deal to her, and it's a big deal to God. Not because God can't come up with french fries for anybody, but because you have listened to him and responded and obeyed. This little thing. He's saying, okay, if I can trust you with $15 to give away, I can trust you with, with life to give away. I can trust you with hope to give away. I, can, I don't know what it is he can trust you with, but it's going to be more. And then when you've been faithful with these little things day after day after day, and you've been faithful in these small, he's going to trust you with bigger things. And you'll say, okay, God, where are you sending me today? And he might prompt you, you know, I'm selfishly going to use these examples because we're sitting in church. He might prompt you to serve somewhere in church. You know, he might prompt you to serve in the nursery, which is kind of like Africa because they don't use toilets in there either. (laughs) It's local Africa. Go to Africa, you missionaries. Hey, I was going to say, if you've been able to produce the little ones, then you can go serve in the Africa. Okay, never mind. But he, he might call you to start up a small group. You don't need my endorsement. You don't need the church to, to, to say to you, hey, we've got some friends. Hey, why don't we get together once a month? Keep it carefully and read a book together and build each other up and sharpen iron like as iron sharpens iron. Or he might tell you to foster, become a foster parent. Or he might actually ask you to give money above your tithe. He might ask those kinds of things. And I don't know what he's going to prompt you to do, but when you really start to say yes to Jesus, you're going to find him calling you to do more and to be more because you will be his hands and his feet. Okay, so here am I, send me. How do you get to this place where you're willing to say, God, I just don't know all of the details. I don't need to know them. Just tell me what it is you want and I'll go. We need to experience the presence of God. We need to recognize our own sinfulness and we need to get a hold of the true grace that comes from the king. Let's pray. God, I know that um, sometimes we have said to you, you know, I just know I'm, I'm not doing that. And we can get away with it. But the person that really pays the price of that no isn't who we think it is. It's going to be us. Forgive us, Lord, when our heart is too small, when our faith is too small. Forgive us for that, God. And There can be reasons. We have our own needs. We have our own broken heart. We have our own fears. And sometimes that those fears would cause us to say, well, maybe I could do this, Lord, because I trust you. But there's people around me that send them. Just let me off the hook. But, but God, you're sovereign. And it's not like you're just trying to spread the work equally. You, your word tells us in Psalm 
139 that you knew us while you crafted us within our own mother's womb. You decided back then what qualities and strengths would be in us so that they could be useful to you to care for people and to make a difference in this world today and tomorrow. You made those decisions way back when. Lord, I'm sorry for the times that I safeguard those and I bury my gifts rather than giving them. That was never your intention for them just to sit in the ground. So Lord, forgive us for that. But Lord, I pray for something of new and fresh courage to rise up within us. Not because we have an emotional sense that maybe we'll be present for a while and then be gone, but but Lord, that there would be something of a quality of courage that you would build within our souls. That when we hear the whispers of the king, that will be enough. It doesn't have to be an argument or a discussion or the shaking of the doors, the doorposts with smoke. We don't have to have that, Lord, to hear a sense of your presence. God, while I'm praying for this, there's so much in this that's about us ministering outward, and that's so healthy. Sometimes, God, when we come to you, this is us coming to you saying, I am broken, heal me, minister to me, strengthen me. And there are people in this room that are right there today. God, I ask you to, to, to be their God today that the peace that they have felt as they sat in your house will go with them this week. Even though they face the very things that tear away at their peace, Lord, give a peace that passes understanding. Give hope, give faith, give life. Lord, I want to pray for needs that are out there. I've heard of needs today before church that just are heartbreaking needs, Lord. Financial needs, medical needs, relationship needs. God, I love you, and I'm just so grateful that, you, that you, you saw those needs before we could pray, and you have already invaded those circumstances. Lord, with healing in your wings, go there. With hope, with provision, with health, visit those places. Church, I'm naming names in my mind that I don't feel I can say out loud, but I want you to be doing the same right now as we pray for people. Lord, visit circumstances. Miraculously, Lord, we pray for the supernatural to intervene. But Lord, we realize it's not always supernatural intervention that happens. It's you moving through us, your kids. Here am I, send me. Lord, help us to move away from no and to move away from send someone else to move towards yes, okay, Lord. This scares me. I know you'll show up, but God, you really better show up. Otherwise, this will be a mess if it comes down to me. So I will go, but Lord, it's got to be because you lead me there and because you're already there ahead of me. So fill us, Lord, with life. Fill us with faith. Fill us, Lord, with a sense of knowing that our loving God has grand things in his heart and his mind for him, for us and his people. In Jesus' name. Church, you'd stand and sing this with me.